electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight on Last Call, uninsurable. Another major home insurer ditches one of America's biggest states, and it could spell big problems for the housing market. Why a new New Jersey offshore wind farm could mean big bucks for a European company and hit homeowners with higher electric bills. A whistleblower lawsuit making stunning allegations against Medtronic. We have a special investigation into the world's biggest medical device maker. Plus, Tom Cruise to the rescue again. Why Mission Impossible may be pulling the summer box office back from oblivion. And you probably hate all those long, boring meetings at the office. We're going to show you how one company figured out how to dump a bunch of them and raise output. All that and much more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, welcome to Last Call, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. We're going to get to all those stories shortly, but first up, can't stop, won't stop. Bob Iger, sticking around. The Disney CEO announcing his contract will be extended through 2026. That is two years longer than expected. Bob Iger, by the way, will sit down with David Faber exclusively tomorrow morning for an interview at 8 a.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Now, This coming is the summer camp for billionaires kicking off today. It is Allen & Company's Sun Valley Conference, of course, in Sun Valley, Idaho. And Disney, sure to be a big topic of discussion. There's obviously a lot going on. The company has been the subject of many headlines over the past few weeks and months. Questions about the streaming business, box office bombs, and slowing attendance at the theme parks. The stock is actually down this year. So what exactly can Disney and Bob Iger do to fix this and maybe bring some of that magic back to shareholders. Bring in our panel, kicking off the show, Semaphore co-founder and editor-in-chief Ben Smith, Puck founding partner Matt Bellany, and of course, our senior media and technology correspondent, Julia Borston, who is live in Sun Valley. Julia, kind of, kind of a big news thing, but I, I get the feeling the Iger contract is not the only Disney thing we may hear about over the next couple of days. But you're there. What are you hearing? Well, I have to say a number of people were speculating once they heard that my colleague David Faber had this big interview. They were speculating what the news would be. And of course, this question of Bob Iger's success was front and foremost in people's minds, especially as he's been walking around here in Sun Valley with two people who could potentially one day be his successor or even co-CEOs to replace him. That's Dana Walden, who's co-chair of the entertainment side of the business, and then Josh DeMauro, who runs the theme park. So I think um, there's been a lot of conversation about that, but so many different things that Bob Iger certainly wants to resolve before he passes on the reins to Disney, including what he does with the sky business in India, which, of course, has been the less profitable part of the direct-to-consumer business. There are also questions about resolving the ownership of Hulu. Disney is expected to buy 
buy out CNBC's parent company, that remaining stake. And then also questions about the box office and how much they're spending on their films, um, as well as the future of the streaming business and ESPN and whether they decide to spin off ESPN when that happens, the timeline for that, et cetera. Yeah, yeah Ben Smith, I'm not going to say that the house is burning for Disney. Certainly, I mean, the, the company is doing a lot of things very well, but there's probably a little bit of smoke coming. And this is not the time to be changing leadership, I would imagine. Give us your view, no matter what company you are. I mean, you sound just like Bob Iger. Um, it's I the think eye that's, of the that's Iger, baby. I'm I sure have the Iger. Exactly what Come on, told I'm board. a survivor. Um, I mean, it is, it's, it's the, I mean, you know, it's, it is sort of the least surprising news imaginable. Bob Iger delaying succession, leaving named candidates who everybody knows, sort of living off the feeding tubes in the meantime. Um, but no, as, but as you say, I think it's a very, it's a difficult, I mean, there are a lot of specific difficult things for Disney, but they're just facing, you know, m- many of the things that drove Disney's stock while, in, you know, in Iger 1, like the romance of Disney Plus, these sub- big subscriber numbers in India are now liabilities. And in some ways, he's kind of reaping what he, what he sowed there. Yeah, uh, Matt, do you think Bob Iger, I mean, he's, he, he's left, so you get the impression he does want to go at some point. He would probably like to go, enjoy the fortune that he has built. But do you feel like he, yeah, some kind of, you're shaking your head. I just keep, I just <laughs> kept bringing him back in, right? It's like the mob, which is when you think you're gone, they bring you back in. Luca Brasi. Yeah, what, what in Bob Iger's actions suggests he wants to be out of that company? Well, he did he leave. He loves it. He There's lives that. and breathes it. He, he only retired the first time because his hand was essentially forced by the board. And let's not forget, this is a board decision. I mean, this is a board that you could call this a colossal failure on the part of the board, not finding a credible successor for Bob Iger after how many years now? How many tries? He's re-upped, you know, four, five times when people thought he was going to retire. So, you know, the fact that there's nobody out there that could step into this role is a huge problem. But then on the other hand, he has inherited largely from himself. But when he came back to the company, he is now facing a lot of problems that have gotten worse since he's returned to the company seven months ago. He has to figure out the future of Disney when the linear television business is collapsing and the streaming business costs too much. What is the future there? He has not articulated what the Disney plan is, and he needs, apparently, a little more time to do so. Well, okay, Julia, you're out there. You know the company extremely well, okay? Is is this kind of structure, theme parks, movies, TV, maybe it is unmanageable? Not by Iger, but by anybody. Although we have kind of a similar structure. Well, I think the one, piece, <laughs> the one piece of the business that really seems like it could potentially be spun off is ESPN. And I think the fact that they're really unifying parts of the entertainment business does make a lot of sense. The fact that they really want to have that consistent oversight of the entertainment business, whether you're talking about TV or streaming or film, you do want to have um, sort of a one creative viewpoint on that. But the sports business could be spun off. I mean, and I think you're you're right in that there's this whole structural transformation of mm-hmm. the industry happening right now. A lot of the challenges that Bob Iger are facing are challenges that everyone in the entertainment industry 
industry is facing. If you're talking about cord cutting and the contraction of the pay TV bundle, if you're talking about the fact that the advertising market is under pressure, these are things that are consistent across the board. And then if you look at if there are questions about the theme park and we'll see um, how strong or weak the the summer theme park uh, business actually is when the company reports earnings in about a month. But I think there that's the impact of the consumer. So I think there are a lot of these sort of systemic uh, industry wide issues. There are also questions of some some changes that his predecessor, Bob Chapek, put into place that Bob Iger has been working to undo. And then also this question of like, what is Disney going to look like in the future once it has full ownership of Hulu? And then once you they start to bundle in Hulu content into this direct to streaming business of Disney Plus that they have. So I think he's really trying to forge a future for Disney. He brought it to this stage with all the major acquisitions he did. And now I think with the layoffs he's done, he's trying to streamline it and make sure that they do have the management team in place to have an easy transition, not in a year now, but in in more like three years. Ben and Matt, you know, I feel like it's like we're going to lose money on every streamer, but don't worry, we'll make it up in volume. Um, Is there anybody, Ben, and Matt, I'll ask you the same question. I'll just give you a little more time to think about it. Is there anybody out there that you can think of who would be a good fit, a natural successor to Bob Iger? I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, I think the, the, the Disney tradition is to name people, to elevate them, to make totally clear that it's going to be them, and then to push them out. So I hope they will follow in that grand tradition. Matt? Uh, I think the internal candidate, at least when you talk to people around Hollywood, has become Dana Walden, who runs the television division and came over in the Fox acquisition. Now, she is someone that does not have theme park experience, does not have upper level, you know, Wall Street experience and doesn't really have movie experience either. So giving some time here to potentially groom her or someone else to maybe give her an elevated role or to expose her to more things like the fact that she's at Sun Valley right now with Josh tomorrow, who is another potential internal candidate who runs parks. Um, That could be a first sign of several that we will see that these are potential yeah. people that could step in. You know, I feel like it may be kind of laughing right now. Julia, quickly, and, we, and we'll see it later on in the show for an interview, is Bob Chapek. <laughs> right? I'm sorry, what did you say? You I just wondered if Bob Chapek's watching, watching this show right now, kind of chuckling <laughs> oh. to himself. I got pushed out on the blame. Problems continued. I don't. Th- I don't think. I don't think he's chuckling to himself right now. I think uh, a lot has happened in the industry since then, and Bob Iger has really changed the company and really undone a lot of what Bob Tapic did when he was he was uh, in his brief stint in yeah. office running Disney. So I think it's interesting to watch. And I would also point out that Christine McCarthy, who's Disney's CFO, outgoing CFO, is here in in Sun Valley. She's announced she's leaving. And that's another role um, that they're going to have to fill over the long term. And I think that could be another reason why we're getting this news right now. You don't want to have a transition of a CFO and a CEO, especially someone who's been at Disney as long as Christine McCarthy. You know, listen, I I love it here and I'm under contract, but I I just got to be on the record, guys. I'll get paid 20, 30 million to fail. You want to hire me? I'm you know, if, if I was available, I'll take the money and run. I'll pull a Steve Miller. Matt, appreciate it. Ben Smith, Julia Borson, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you. All right, an important programming note. By the way, we just referenced it. We're going to reference it again. The guy we just talked about, Bob Iger, will sit down with David Faber tomorrow morning in the 8 a.m. Eastern. That's pretty early out mountain time. It's like two hours earlier, so 6 a.m. Idaho time, 8 a.m. your time in exclusive meantime. Here's what happened to your money today. 
the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ, all with slight gains. The NASDAQ, the bigger winner, up more than 1%. The Dow up one quarter of 1%. The big winner of the day, Domino's Pizza, closing up 11%. They announced the delivery partnership with Uber Eats. And the biggest decliner was cybersecurity firm Palo Alto Networks on deck. And by the way, home buyers in Florida and California, listen up. It may soon be even more expensive or maybe impossible for you to get homeowners insurance soon. And that could be a warning for the housing market everywhere. Plus, how much are pointless meetings costing business and maybe driving you bonkers? One company figured out how to get rid of some of those long meetings at the office. And maybe there's a lesson for your company. That's ahead. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Time now for tomorrow's news tonight. First, an update on Microsoft's planned buyout of Activision Blizzard. The FTC says it is appealing a judge's ruling blocking its efforts to stop the $69 million deal. The FTC's move was largely anticipated. They're going to have to, by the way, move quickly. The temporary restraining order freezing the deal expires on Friday. Also, some breaking news on a potential IPO, one that's kind of close to us. Because you might remember this company from our Make It Monday segment. It is water brand Liquid Death. They're hiring Goldman Sachs to lead the charge on an IPO. That according to The Information, which is a paid research service. The move means Liquid Death could go public by spring of next year. A Liquid Death IPO could follow a number of successful IPOs recently, including Kava, which, by the way, has been on a nice run since going public, I, I attribute the whole thing to when I like ate one of their pitas on Instagram. All right, homeowners and home buyers in California take heed. Insurance on your home may have just gotten even harder to get and probably more expensive if you can get it. Farmers Insurance became the latest insurer to limit new homeowner policies in California. Remember, State Farm and Allstate recently also cut writing new policies. If you have one, you keep it. But new policies, no more. And they cited the same reasons as farmers. Record-breaking inflation, bad weather, and higher reconstruction costs, among others. Farmers also announcing it is pulling back from insuring some homeowners in Florida. And that could impact roughly 100,000 policyholders. In the past year and a half, 15 different insurance companies have either stopped writing policies in Florida or have gone bust in the state. Now, of course, hurricane costs, hurricane damage. Look at that. Gets all the headlines as it should. 
Hurricane Ian did 114 billion in damage. But some also blame high legal costs over claims and even straight up fraud as people try to rip off the system. So the question is, what is gonna happen to the housing markets of California and Texas, two of the biggest and most important economic states in America, if home buyers either can't get or can't afford insurance? By the way, homeowners insurance, something you are required to have if you are taking out a mortgage to buy your home. Try to borrow money without insurance. Not happening. All right, let's talk more about this with the COO of Lockton's private risk solutions practice, Stacey Warren. Lockton's one of the largest privately held insurance brokerages in the world and real estate economist and associate dean at Florida Atlantic University. Go Owls. Business school in South Florida, that is Ken Johnson. Uh, Stacey, start with you. Listen, I understand climate, climate change, climate risk. That is a big deal here. It is a part of the story, but it gets about 101% of the headlines. How much more other stuff besides that is going on? Yeah, so it's just what you said earlier. Your litigation fraud are significant drivers. Um, it's having a, a very, very significant impact on the insurance market. Look, these are real challenges for consumers. And you know these complexities that we're seeing are just at it's already a volatile market. And it's not just for customers buying new homes. You know, these announcements in Florida today, and I happen to be in Florida, you know, these are impacting homeowners that have existing policies that are being non-renewed. And we talk a lot about home. It's not just home anymore. It's auto. It's liability. You know, in the case of farmers today, they're exiting all those lines. So it's, it's very significant to consumers. And I got to imagine, Ken, that, you know, there's some people watching going, good. I don't, you know, I, I can't afford a home in Florida, California anyway. Who cares? I would imagine people care because it's got to it's got to drive up the price of rent as well, because not only is the homeowner who may have a mortgage going to have to jack the rent to cover new policies, but people are going to have to spend more to buy the homes that they would be eventually renting out anyway. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely true. So what we're seeing with this evolving insurance crisis it's just, it's exacerbating a housing affordability crisis. So, Brian, you've been talking about it's limiting the access to insurance and also driving up the cost of insurance, which is hurting the ability for people to live affordably in most parts of the country, in particular in the Sun Belt states and much of the, on the western coast of the U.S. Yeah, and, and Ken, one more back to you. Um, I talked about legal issues at the top, and people may think, oh, it's just an excuse. They're whining. No, when you look at the numbers on legal costs. There have been some technical legal rule changes that have occurred and in plain English. Can you explain to me what those are and why they may be a major con a contributor to why these companies are saying we're out? Sure, glad to, sorry about the lighting. So here in Florida, we have an assignments of benefits clause that's been done away with. Uh, also, there's this issue of one-way attorney fees those are going away, although it's going to take a while to work these through the system. So some of these costs are going to come down. It's just going to take a little bit of time. But it's driven more, especially in Florida, by the fact that we have such an influx in population and how fast we can build properties. Yeah. So to get these things done in a timely fashion, it's going to be difficult. But the, I'm sure we'll beat the challenge. The demand to live in Florida is high. The demand to live in Texas is high. No matter what anybody says about California, people still want to live in sunny California. They, they do. Well, the trades on the weather. Stacey, very, very quickly. So how are we going to get home insurance in California, Florida? 
<laughs> Good luck. <laughs> no, but in all sincerity, your broker plays a huge role in helping you navigate through the complexities of this market. So working with the right risk advisors, working with the right producers that can help you is essential. You want to go to market on your renewals. You want to make sure you understand your coverages. You want to make sure you understand what your options are. But they are the gateway to helping you secure yeah. the coverage at an affordable price. Ken, Stacy, really important story. Appreciate you coming on last call. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy. All right, still ahead. A recently unsailed whistleblower lawsuit alleges that the medical device giant Medtronic is at the center of a kickback scheme. Up next, the whistleblower speaks about what he says went wrong in an exclusive CNBC interview. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Very serious story here. Medtronic, which is the world's largest medical device company, is under fire in a whistleblower lawsuit that accuses it of prioritizing profits over patients. In an exclusive CNBC interview, the whistleblower alleges that Medtronic sales reps operated a bribery scheme in a veterans hospital, possibly jeopardizing the health of veteran patients and wasting millions in taxpayer dollars. CNBC's Morgan Brennan has the story. A small Kansas hospital spent more on medical equipment than some of the country's largest facilities. Hospital staff allegedly bribed with lavish dinners and claims that doctors put unnecessary medical devices in patients' bodies. Tom Schrader is the whistleblower. Why speak out now? Because lives have been hurt for decades. And I would have thought the system would help correct that. Schrader spent 17 years working in the medical device industry. And now he's filed a whistleblower lawsuit seeking to hold one of the biggest players accountable. The lawsuit says Medtronic and its subsidiaries bribed hospital staff to purchase its devices over those of its competitors and to purchase grossly excessive inventory. Schrader says he discovered the alleged misconduct occurring at the VA while working as a sales manager for Becton Dickinson, a direct competitor to Medtronic. For those who might say that you were a disgruntled former competitor, how would you respond? Anybody who thinks I'm a disgruntled employee just really hasn't read the facts, because when you read the facts, I think it speaks for itself. At the heart of the lawsuit, veterans treated for peripheral artery disease at the Dole VA. The condition occurs when plaque builds up in the arteries and blocks blood flow to the legs. Some doctors treat this disease with an atherectomy device, which removes buildup in the arteries and restores blood flow. Medtronic is a major manufacturer of these devices. There's a lot of money tied up in this business. In its latest annual filing, Medtronic reported sales of nearly $2.4 billion from the segment that includes its peripheral vascular devices. That's almost 8% of the company's sales. Independent from Schroeder's lawsuit, the VA launched its own investigation in 2017, when the Dole VA's new medical director, Rick Amet, noticed the hospital was purchasing an excessive amount of Medtronic inventory. Amet, who still works in the VA system, declined an interview, but CNBC obtained his nearly six-hour video deposition. I've been running hospitals for 35 years, and this infuriates me. Why does it infuriate This infuriates me because it feels like the Wild West. Medical experts say typically one to two of these devices is used per patient. 
But a sample of patient data the VA gathered in Kansas shows on average seven devices used per patient. And one veteran at Dole VA had 33 implanted. Data the VA gathered shows that this hospital was purchasing more devices than some of the VA's largest medical facilities. Rough estimates early in the analysis showed that our costs were, it looks like $5 million a year more than they should have been um, in this um, department alone. Medtronic records show its sales reps taking the VA staff to expensive dinners. An order for dozen oysters at $34, two orders of those, filet mignon, two orders for $76, and it goes on. This clearly gives the impression that influence is uh, trying to be uh, asserted. Schrader says the alleged kickback scheme at the Dole VA wasn't just an instance of a rogue sales rep. I was an executive with a competing company, so I have a distinct understanding of what's visible to the higher-ups. Brendan Donnellan, Schrader's attorney for this case, says this is a systemic issue. These pretty grotesquely large dollar amounts had to have stuck out like a sore thumb, but you can choose to look the other way. The company declined an on-camera interview. But in a statement to CNBC said the allegations in this case are false and Medtronic will continue to defend the litigation as it moves ahead. Since 2011, Medtronic and its subsidiaries have paid more than $60 million in settlements related to allegations of kickback schemes and other health care fraud claims. The company also said it has cooperated fully with the Department of Justice in past settlements and when problems were found, took appropriate remedial action. You can have policies on paper, but unless you put them into practice and unless you change your culture, it's going to keep happening. The individuals who sold to the Dole VA, who paid the bribes, are still working for the company and they're still selling at other VA hospitals throughout the country. Medtronic said Schrader has admitted he has no firsthand knowledge about problematic procedures involving its devices. The company also said the doctors who performed these procedures didn't receive additional compensation for these surgeries or using the devices. In a statement to CNBC, the VA said the hospital's high expenditures were from Medtronic devices. It also said it shut down the hospital unit where these procedures were performed, but so far it has found no quality of care issues in patients. ProPublica previously reported on Schrader's lawsuit. In response to that story, Kansas senators urged the VA to contact patients that these procedures may have impacted. In a recent court filing, the VA said 59 veteran patients are having their medical records examined for, quote, possible substandard care issues. Powerful story. Um, what is next in the lawsuit? So the VA is now releasing that patient data for expert review. No court date has been set. It's very likely this could go into next year. The lawsuit has also led to more scrutiny of more questions around these atherectomy procedures, their efficacy, Brian, their safety, but also the payment structure surrounding them as well. What do you mean? What's some of the controversy around that procedure? So medical experts say that the science around atherectomy procedures, it's not strong. It has risks uh, that are less invasive, that rather than less invasive methods uh, used to, to treat peripheral artery disease. Also, you have some doctors believed to overuse the procedure because of the high Medicare reimbursement rates. This is an incentive structure that was the subject of a recent ProPublica investigation as well. Now, for its part, 
Brian Medtronic strongly contesting some of the claims, telling us the procedure is, quote, safe and effective frontline therapy and that its devices, quote, demonstrated mm. safety across multiple clinical trials. But there is just in general a lot more scrutiny around this. And we go into much more detail uh, in our article on CNBC.com as well. Urge everybody to go read that as well. Powerful and important story there. Morgan Brennan, thank you. All right, still ahead here on Last Call. Pointless meetings at work. They may crush the soul, but now Spotify apparently has figured out how to crush the meetings and improve the bottom line. The story you got to hear next. All right, welcome back. Let's get down to your last call watch list. First up, Paramount. It's prayers for another Tom Cruise hit may be coming true. Part one of the new Mission Impossible series, scoring a solid $7 million in early preview sales yesterday, but just on a couple of screens. The film opens nationwide today, and audiences are loving the movie, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Paramount is hoping to pull the box office out of its summer funk. Paramount shares down about 2% so far this year. Next up, Lucid Motors. Investors, they're not pleased with their latest delivery numbers. Shares of Lucid down more than 11% today. They only delivered about 1,400 of their air electric cars to customers this past quarter. Most analysts looking for a number around 2,000. Maybe Tesla price cuts cited as a potential contributor. Who knows? And finally, Carvana, apparently the stock that just won't quit. It jumped another 9% today, writing a bullish note from JMP Securities, doubling its price target on Carvana to 50 bucks, citing Carvana's aggressive steps to become profitable. And with used car prices finally coming down, Carvana stock is up a whopping 720% this year, although that's after falling 90% last year, so still off its well-time highs. But hey, still popped a lot. All right, let's be honest. None of us like meetings at work. They can feel endless, redundant, time-wasting, downright boring. I mean, not here, of course. Our meetings are amazing. But one company has a solution that can save both time and money. That is e-commerce giant Shopify, rolling out a tool on their employees' calendar app. Get this. It calculates the cost of any meeting with three or more people. And take a look at this. According to Shopify's tool, just a single 30-minute meeting with several employees could cost the company anywhere from $700 to $1,600. Add an executive to that meeting, oh, and the price tag could shoot up to more than $2,000. And that's before sandwiches. Shopify estimates the tool has freed up more than 322,000 hours of employee time and lost productivity. That is roughly more than 13,000 days. Joining us now is the man behind this, I would think, revolutionary idea, and that is Kaz Nahatian. He is the COO of Shopify, not Spotify, as I botched. I'm sure that's not the first time that's happened, Kaz, so I apologize. I I love this. I love this. How did you guys come upon this? And how did you make the calculations? Yeah, look, I think um, no one, uh, when they were growing up, said, I want to grow up and sit in meetings all day long. That was no one's dream job. Uh, People don't come to Shopify to hate uh, the Google Calendar because it's nothing but back-to-back meetings. They come here to build world-class software for entrepreneurs to make the world a better place. And we just wanted to change the default answer to having your manager invite you to a meeting from being yes to no. As long as we change that default, 
we think we can make the world a better place for people who actually do work rather than people who manage other people. Yeah, I mean, it's we used to have a rule years ago at a different place I worked where we we just didn't sit down. You you just didn't sit down in the meeting unless you unless you know of course you had to for some other reason because you tried to keep the meeting meeting going. How do you reach a a a monetary number on wasted time? That's where I want to understand. You don't have to give away yeah. your secret equation or whatever, Kaz. But how did you reach that figure? It's not a secret. We want every company to do this. Oh, good. You should Send all get rid of meetings. <laughs> meetings are bad <laughs> for the world. Look, I think there is a, what we did was we took the average compensation for the average employee in a bunch of disciplines across the company, engineering, design, um, sales, customer service, whatever that was. And we just applied that to the people who were invited to meeting. So the person doing the inviting, knowing how much they were costing the company and the people who were invited could say, you know what? This meeting isn't that important. Look, no one who works at Shopify would go out for dinner and expense $500 to a company. But people inadvertently spend way more than that in pointless meetings. And we just want folks to know that they can say no and that no to meetings should be a default answer. A no to meetings should be a... I mean, there are some times, I would imagine, Kaz, you have to meet. Whether it's oh, yeah, virtual, totally. whether it's, and the only thing worse than an in-person meeting is like a Teams or a Zoom meeting where like literally nothing really happens. What has been the employee reaction to this? Because there's probably some people that don't mind the meetings and maybe, you know, the free poutine. <laughs> Look, uh, <laughs> Shopify is a company uh, full of entrepreneurs who builds for other entrepreneurs. And I think this may be among the most popular things we've done. Uh, at the company, I get notes every day from folks saying, look, at my last job, I'd be in meetings from nine to five and I would have to get my real work done after after hours. And that just took up my entire day and it made me exhausted. Like this is actually how you can tell there are too many meetings. Almost in every company, every meeting room is always full. You can't build enough meeting rooms. Yep. That's a sign that there are too many meetings. Like, you just don't build more meeting rooms. You solve the problem at its root cause, which is we think we should have very good meetings, but very few meetings. I don't know if there's a company already. I'm just going to throw this out there. I may be violating trademark, but you should, like, trademark the term Stopify. Right? Like, that, that could, like you know, we're going to Stopify this meeting. I just gave away you billions know, of dollars in Potential. Brian, you should start a Shopify store. You can start one right now and sell Shopify t-shirts. I'll be your first customer. That's it. Max, we have two customers, Kaz and you. Max Myers, my senior executive producer. Kaz, great stuff. I love this. Productivity. Thank you. Kaz, you have a great night. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chad. All right. On deck, a massive wind farm getting the green light up the coast of New Jersey. And coming up, why a last-minute deal could end up costing homeowners some green. Welcome back. Today's RBI is all about power, specifically wind power, because taxpayers in New Jersey may have just gotten something blown by them. Despite some public opposition, including by, by the way, some environmental groups following a federal green light. A few days ago, New Jersey approved a massive offshore wind farm. It's called Ocean Wind One. It is a billion dollar, if not two billion dollar plus project. 
that will supply power to about 400,000 Garden State homes and, by the way, create a bunch of jobs on its construction. It's about 15 to 20 miles off the Jersey Shore, and it's being seen as a big wind for wind energy and climate goals. It can also be seen as a big win for GE, by the way, which will make the wind turbines. But it will definitely be a win for a company called Orsted. Orsted is a giant company based in Denmark. They are running the project. This is their deal. But as part of that deal and in a relatively last minute move, New Jersey granted Orsted tax credits to cover any rising costs of the projects. Now, those tax credits were originally set to be used to offset any higher electricity prices from the cost of the project. In other words, a last-minute swap may give some taxpayer money from New Jersey to a company based in Denmark instead of to those New Jersey homeowners. There are concerns. The electricity cost to homeowners will be higher than current rates or than for onshore wind farms. Hmm. So this tax move, should it be surprising? Well, it probably shouldn't be. Because as we know, money and power, even wind power, go together, right? Random, but interesting. All right, meantime, ESG getting raked over the coals on Capitol Hill today. The House Financial Services Committee holding the first of what's going to be six hearings over ESG or environmental or social governance. It's all part of what Republicans are branding as ESG month and what they say are their efforts to protect investor interest. Today's first hearing kicked off with both sides sounding off on the controversies around ESG. The SEC has turned its attention towards non-material, environmental, social, and political issues. These politically motivated regulations not only discourage private companies from going public, but also hinder the competitiveness of American public companies. The Republican effort to dismantle ESG is integral to their agenda to gut diversity and inclusion across the board. All right, joining us now is Kentucky Congressman and House Financial Services member Andy Barr. Congressman Barr, good to have you back on. I guess, I guess I'll ask the question that, that many on the left may be asking, which is, why do we care so much? What's the big deal if companies want to do ESG? Let them do it. Well, ESG advocates say that it is capitalism and free markets. It's actually the politicization of capital allocation. It's the distortion of the free flow of capital to its uh, highest and best use. And nobody is suggesting that uh, a, uh, a corporation, a public, publicly traded company, um, can't uh, focus on diversity and inclusion or uh, climate or their emissions profile. But the fiduciary obligation of directors and officers of publicly traded companies, of course, is to maximize shareholder value, to deliver returns to investors. And ESG funds have underperformed the broader market uh, by 250 basis points uh, for the last five years. And so uh, this stands to reason because ESG funds carry 43% higher fees. They're less diversified by design because they discriminate against entire sectors of our economy like energy. And in a year like 2022, where energy stocks outperformed the broader market by 43% in a bear market where the Russell 1000 was down 17%, if you were invested in ESG in 2022, you were a massive loser. Yeah. These are higher fee, less diversified, lower return funds. 
and we're protecting retail investors uh, by exposing ESG as a fraud. Although a lot of that outperformance or underperformance by ESG came because oil and gas went up and oil and gas stocks did well. We'll see if that continues. Either way, Congressman, listen, there's a, there's a, there's a state called Florida. They have a governor there, Ron DeSantis. He's running for president. It, it appears that this sort of fight he's had against Disney may have backfired a little bit. Uh, if not backfired, it hasn't certainly helped him. At least it, it appears from where we sit here at CNBC do you worry that this push against ESG is, is a battle that maybe Americans just don't want to have? Well, our fight is about actually being on the side of the American people. I think you're right. I think the American people uh, don't want politics to be part of their 401ks and their 529 saving for college. Look, the gap between what Americans have saved for retirement and what they're going to need for retirement is $3.8 trillion. Now is not the time to politicize Americans' retirement to the detriment of their returns. They need maximum returns. And when politics and non-material factors like uh, emissions or social justice or Mm -hmm. diversity quotas, when that is the priority as as opposed to corporate financial performance, as opposed to pecuniary factors, it means that Americans are going to see substandard performance. And what we see, and why this is such a cancer, is that many uh, poorly performing companies are using ESG as an excuse to raise capital. And, and, and be- because of this ESG yeah. bubble, capital is flowing into ESG companies, not because the fundamentals of those companies are strong, but because they're just slapping and greenwashing yeah. the label ESG on them. That's why it's so distortionary. Congressman Andy Barr of Kentucky. Congressman, we appreciate your time. I know it's late. Thank you very much, sir. All right, coming up, there have been a lot of strange ways to get rich on crypto, but one family's success, maybe the strangest yet, and the moon is involved. Really, it's a real story, and you're going to hear it, but only if you stick around. All right, let's go back out west to Sun Valley and the Allen & Company Conference where Julia Borstead is joined by a special guest, Flo Page, CEO and business leader Tim Armstrong. Julia. Thanks so much. Tim Armstrong, CEO of Flowcode. You used to be CEO of AOL, and in fact, you did the deal of selling AOL to Verizon. It has started here in Sun Valley. What is your sense of the appetite for deals this year? So I think, Julia, this year the, there's... I would say in the next 12 to 18 months, I think M&A is going to pick up. I think people are talking a lot about the different valuations of traditional media again and the digital players. So I'd expect M&A to pick up pace. I think the regulatory environment people are somewhat unclear about. But having done a lot of deals here in the past, I think this is the start of one of those years that when we look back on it will probably be the beginning of a deal cycle. But what about that regulatory issue? The FTC just said it was going to appeal the judge's ruling, um, which would have allowed the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal to go through. But now they're going to appeal that. What is that uncertainty around the regulatory environment due to deal making? I think deal making in general, like that's an X factor. You don't know. There's a lot of business reasons to do deals. And the government work on the deal factor, I think, right now is unknown. I think it will probably potentially slow things down until people know which way the government's going to go. But The most important thing, I think, is like Sun Valley after the pandemic is back on and you're seeing like I think there's a lot of um, relationships and a lot of people thinking about things for the future. So regardless of what the government does, I don't think that will end up blocking that uh, what I think will be 12 or 18 months of M&A restarting in a big way. And I think second of all, I think the, the bigger partners and brands, especially sports, Um, I think they've come to realize that their brands are platforms. So the last 
five, 10 years has been about the platform companies in Silicon Valley growing. I think one thing we do at Flowcode a lot is we spend a lot of time with people enabling their first party channels to become platforms. We do it with you guys at CNBC, but um, the, the opportunity right now has never been bigger for brands to build themselves as platforms before AI comes into the industry and to start capturing your CRM and your data. So that is a big topic. I'm talking to a lot of media people about that here this week. Yeah, and I, I understand that the NBA is an investor, but we have to ask you our final question about AI because everyone's talking about AI here in Sun Valley. How is AI going to impact your business and that of the other tech and media giants here? Yeah, so for our business, it's a huge positive because we do offline to online and we help people connect from the offline economy directly to digital. So AI is a huge enhancement for us and our products at Flowcode. The larger industry, I think, for the ads industry in particular, it's going to go from a search industry to an answers industry. And the answers industry, it, it, ads are going to be 10x more expensive. There's going to be 10x fewer spaces for ads. And I think what you're going to see is that the entire platform industry around ads in Silicon Valley change to get more expensive, fewer players. It's going to consolidate things a lot, I think. And that's a big change for ads. be fascinating to see how this all plays out. Tim Armstrong, CEO of Flowcode, who has done deals here at, in Sun Valley. Hopefully Thanks. more this week. Hopefully more this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Brian, I'm going to send it back to you. Julia and Tim, thank you very much. All right, Bitcoin. It has seen lots of volatility over the past few years, but one family has cashed in through some very unique ways. CBC's Mackenzie Segalos joining us now with more fascinating story. Hey, Brian. So for more than four years, I've been reporting on a Dutch family that bet literally everything that they own on Bitcoin. In 2017, they liquidated all their assets, trading a 2,500 square foot house and most of their earthly possessions for Bitcoin back when it was trading at around $900 a coin. They also closed all their bank accounts and decided to transact only in Bitcoin. So for us, Bitcoin is way safer than a bank account or a fiat system. Um, it's deflationary, so our capital has been going up in the last six years. But instead of just holding on to their tokens, they've actively been moving in and out of Bitcoin to U.S. dollar peg stable coins like Tether and USDC to take advantage of price volatility. Now, when I was on the ground with them in Lagos, Portugal, the father of the family told me about how he's used his own custom-built trading tool to successfully time the market. It's called the DD Bam Bam Indicator, and it's a combination of some of the most popular market signals that crypto traders watch when they make investment decisions. It includes technicals like the Relative Strength Index, but the indicator also factors in moon phases. So get this, when there is a full or a half moon, people tend to trade more. Apparently, price pumps or sell-offs mostly happen at the full moon. It is definitely the most original approach to investing that I've heard on how to trade Bitcoin, and it appears to be working. The family says their Bitcoin investment is up about 50% since the bottom of the most recent bear market. Tonight, tonight is a waning crescent, by the way, not a waxing <laughs> give us quickly. Social experiment, how's it going? I mean, I caught up with this family when they had three daughters all under the age of 12. Now the oldest one is 18, and she speaks very eloquently about you know, the problems with inflation and governments printing money. When they sold off everything, they were living on a campsite in the Netherlands, hoping that this bet would pay mm. off. And it, it's certainly been fascinating to track their life since then. I'll tell you, oh, Daddy Didi is lucky it did. <laughs> not sure he'd have a family if he didn't. Mackenzie, thank you very much. Great stuff, folks. I'm off for a couple days. Thanks for watching Last Call. We will see somebody. We'll see you tomorrow night. Take care. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.